Good evening, and welcome to the Halloween edition of the 3D Percuts Podcast, your lifestyle magazine for the practicing surgical pathologist. Every week we bring you something to think about, something to read, or something to listen to. 3D Percuts is brought to you by Formalin Fixed Paraffin Embedded Tissue. Emphasis on the formalin. Because without the high exposure to 10% buffered neutral formalin that I experienced during, during my residency in St. Louis, I wouldn't be able to think of half of the things that I write about here at 3D Percuts Publishing. And if you're not a pathologist and you're listening to this right now, thank you and welcome. All right, this I am so excited for this. This Halloween edition, uh, it's my favorite holiday. I took extra days off to take my son out trick-or-treating and carve pumpkins and go see the sights and all the scary stuff around the neighborhood. I am over the moon with Halloween. This is my favorite time of year. And I've saved... So this is the first time I'm doing a book report style episode of 3D Per Cuts. Why am I doing it this way? Because I I think storytelling is important. And rather than writing like threads about storytelling. I just thought I'd walk you through this book. The book is Carrie by Stephen King, which came out uh, May 3rd, 1974. It was Stephen King's first major commercial success. So Stephen King was basically a a struggling writer for many years, more almost a decade before he received a dime. The guy was living off of peanut butter sandwiches And in 1973, he finished the manuscript for this book called Carrie. At the time, it wasn't named that. It was called A Novel of a Girl's, (laughs) A Novel of a Girl Possessed of a Terrifying Power. Uh, That was the cover art for the, uh, the 1975 paperback edition. So, First of all, he writes this manuscript two years earlier, and he gets approved for a $1,500 advance. That was much more money back then. And he eventually convinced Doubleday Publishing to advance the book, uh, it advanced that money to $2,500, which was a pretty good chunk of money for uh, a fiction novel. So the first print run was about 30,000 copies, and then a hardback uh edition was available on April 5th, 1974. Um, So this was a huge win for Stephen King because eventually he has a major stroke of good luck. Uh, It's actually not luck. It's the result of his persistence and incredible hard work. So the publishing company, New English New English Library, the president of this company, Bob Tanner, he reads this book overnight, and he's so impressed by it, he, he offered Doubleday Publishing $400,000 for the rights to mass-market paperback publication of the book Carrie, and of that, Stephen King received half, uh, so $200,000, which is an insane amount of money for 1974. And um, New American Library uh, eventually publishes Carrie under uh, uh, Signet Books in April 1975. The, the dates aren't important. Bottom line is that this is 
Stephen King's first big break into uh, fiction writing, and this uh, this opened the door for him to be a New York New York Times bestseller, and later having multiple movies made off of his books. So the let's see, a number of sales for the hardback edition somewhere between thirteen thousand and seventeen thousand copies. The paperback edition sold uh, in its first year about a million cop a million copies. It's insane. Uh, and then in 1976, there was a film adaptation, which I have not seen. I actually didn't even hear about this book until I listened to the Founders Podcast episode of Stephen King's book on writing, where it, that's a nonfiction book where Stephen King is just sitting down explaining to you his creative process, his work process. Uh, uh, and one of the things that really stuck with me from that episode is when Stephen King says, if you really love it, you'll do it until your fingers bleed. And I I just love that. Okay, so the way that I'll just do this is I have a bunch of pages of this book marked. And this is a spoiler. So there's going to be details of the book revealed. I'm reading passages from the book and just how I reacted to it. And uh, so if you haven't read the book, uh, maybe pause this and go read the book. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's especially around Halloween. It's this book is terrifying. Um, and it's also a good education into the way that he makes it scary. So this book, let, let me just start reading it. Okay. Okay. So let's just get into it. Okay. Page 30. From Carrie, The Black Dawn of TK, Esquire Magazine, September 12th, 1980, by Jack Gaber. Estelle Horan has lived in the neat San Diego suburb of Parrish for 12 years. And outwardly, she is typical Miss California. She wears a bright print, she wears bright print shifts and smoked amber sunglasses. Her hair is black streaked and blonde. She drives a neat maroon Volkswagen Formula V with a smile decal on the gas cap and a green flag ecology sticker on the back window. Her husband is an executive at the parish branch of the Bank of America. Her son and daughter are certified members of the Southern California Sun and Fun crowd, burnished brown beach creatures. There is a hibachi in the small, beautifully kept backyard and the door chimes play a tinkly phrase from the refrain of Hey Jude. But Ms. Haran still carries the thin, difficult soil of New England somewhere inside her, and when she talks of Carrie White, her face takes on an odd, pinched look that is more like Lovecraft out of Arkham than Karak out of Southern Cal. Quote, Of course she was strange, Estelle Haran tells me, lighting the second Virginia Slim a moment after stubbing out her first. The whole family was strange. Ralph was a construction worker, and people on the streets said he carried a Bible and a thirty-eight revolver to work with him every day. The Bible was for his coffee break and lunch. The thirty-eight was in case he met Antichrist on the job. I can remember the Bible myself. The revolver? Who knows? He was a big, olive-skinned man with his hair always shaved into a flat-top crew cut. He always looked mean, and you didn't meet eye, and you didn't meet his eyes, not ever. 
They were so intense, they actually seemed to glow. When you saw him coming, you crossed the street and you never stuck out your tongue, and you never stuck out your tongue at his back. Not ever. That's how spooky he was. Okay, so this is like a newspaper clipping that Stephen King uses to like set the the frame. Uh, he uses this throughout the book. So it's like he weaves in like these these newspaper clippings, police reports, uh, interviews with people who knew Carrie White in uh, in high school, people who were there at the uh, climactic uh, catastrophe on the the prom night uh, where the school kids try to prank her. And uh, this start this starts from like day one. So this te- this writing technique of layering layering in third party reports to kind of build the suspense around the upbringing of Carrie White, the personality of her mom and dad, and uh, interviews with the same people that made fun of her in high school. So uh, let's see. So I have a couple other highlights here. So. Yeah, so page 22, our parents have uh, peculiar religious views, uh, principles. Uh, We're discussing Margaret White. So there's this scene in the first couple of chapters of the book where the principals at the high school are kind of discussing uh, how strange her family is. They're uh, kind of hyper-religious, and we later learn uh, extremely abusive. And the opening scene is... Uh, it's almost like too disgusting for purposes of this podcast. I don't want to gross everyone out, but it's it's gross. Like it's this like shower scene uh, with like it's it. You you just have to read it. It's 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 disgusting. Um, a bunch of girls in the showers together, and then um, she starts bleeding. Uh, like onset of monarchy. Um, so so that alone just like shocks you into like wanting to. It's it's. I mean, imagine reading this in 1974. Uh, that type of content in a mainstream book was, I mean, it had to have been unheard of back then. Okay, let's keep on going. Page 50. From Ogilvy's Dictionary of Psychic Phenomena. Telekinesis is the ability to move objects or to cause changes in objects by force of the mind. The phenomenon has most reliably been reported in times of crisis or in stress situations when automobiles have been levitated from pinned bodies or debris from collapsed buildings, etc. The phenomenon is often confused with the work of poltergeists, which are playful spirits. It should be noted that poltergeists are astral beings of questionable reality, while telekinesis is thought to be an empiric function of the mind, possibly electrochemical in nature. So this is another, so he's weaving it in. So he's defining, so telekinesis. So in the pages earlier, I I won't share all the details, but um, Carrie has these episodes where she's able to kind of like move these objects around her. And uh, he's weaving in these explanations of like, well, this one's a dictionary. And there's other things that allude to like, you know, the genetics behind telekinesis. And um, I think they even talk about like inheritance traits. Um, And so, you know, on the next page, she's introducing um, 
uh, Sue Snell and a character named Tommy who would later go to the prom with Carrie, uh, almost kind of like as a sympathy date set up by a girl who participated in humiliating her, uh, which is Sue Snell. And later in the book, there's these really like post-traumatic interviews with Sue Snell. Um, so she has all this guilt because in that opening scene, these, these girls are like horrible to, um, to Carrie White. She's like this socially awkward girl, uh, doesn't know anything. Um, and, uh, anyways, so let's, so moving on. Okay. Page 66 and 67. This is where it, it gets super intense. So this is a scene where uh, Carrie's at home with her mom, whose name is Margaret White, and who, uh, they go into some backstory about Margaret White. But So in this scene, uh, so Mama began to force Carrie toward the blue glare of the closet. Pray to God you and your sins may be washed away. Mama, you let me go. Pray, woman. I'll make the stones come again, Mama. Mama halted. Even her breath seemed to stop in her throat for a moment. And then the hand tightened on her neck, tightened until Carrie saw red, lurid dots in front of her eyes and felt her brain go fuzzy and far off. Mama's magnified eyes swam in front of her. You spawn of the devil, she whispered. Why was I so cursed? Carrie's whirling minds strove to find something huge enough to express her agony, shame, terror, hate, fear. It seemed her whole life had been, her whole life had narrowed to this miserable, beaten point of rebellion. Her eyes bulged crazily, her mouth filled with spit, opened wide. You suck, she screamed. Mama hissed like a burned cat. Sin, she cried. Oh, sin. She began to beat Carrie's back, her neck, her head. Carrie was driven, reeling into the close blue glare of the closet. You fuck, Carrie screamed. There, there. It's out. How else do you think she got you? God, oh God. These are like voices Carrie's hearing in her head. It's super creepy. She was swirled into the closet head first and she struck the far wall and fell on the floor in semi-daze. The door slammed and key turned. She was alone with Mama's angry god. The blue light glared on a picture of huge and bearded Yahweh who was casting screaming multitudes of humans down. So skip down. But of course she did break. So basically her mom's locking her in a closet right now. It took six hours, but she broke weeping and calling Mama to open the door and let her out. The need to urinate was terrible. The black man grinned at her with her with his jackal mouth and his scarlet eyes, knew all the secrets of woman blood. An hour after Carrie began to call, Mama let her out. Carrie scrabbled madly for the bathroom. It was only now, three hours after that, sitting with her, head bowed over the sewing machine like a penitent that she remembered, remembered the fear in Mama's eyes and she thought she knew the reason why. So, like, this is, this is, this is so messed up. It, like, I feel like, like that, 
that darkness just just makes this book even scarier. And it actually takes me to so locking a kid in the closet. There's an interview. I don't. I I think I can't remember what show this is on. I don't know. It might have been on Joe Rogan. But he's interviewing Frank Shamrock. If you're if you're not familiar with Frank Shamrock, he's like this uh, K1 fighter, UFC fighter, like major MMA career. Uh, I think he came out of northern some gym in Northern California. He's an orphan. He's a adopted brother of uh, Ken Shamrock, another like big name mixed martial artist. And in that interview, I just remember like Frank Shamrock talking about like the the terror, like his, his dad was a psycho, like locked him in closets and stuff. And so that like came to mind when I'm reading this, um, just like that, that darkness. So when, when Stephen King brings this up, it's just like, oh my God, he really understands character development. Um, okay. So, okay. So Carrie White is at this high school. This story, by the way, takes place in New England and uh, Chamberlain, Maine, some small town way off the beaten path. I think it's like a town of 5,000 people where teenage social status is everything, right? Uh, there's like nowhere to hide if you don't fit in at school. All right, so let's skip up. Um, okay. Uh, okay, page 93. She closed her eyes again and rocked. Physical functions began to revert to the norm. Her respiration speeded until she was nearly painting, panting. The rocker had a slight squeak. It wasn't annoying, though. It was soothing. Rock, rock. Clear your mind. Carrie, her, mother vo- her mother's voice slightly disturbed, floated up. She's getting interference like the radio when you turn on the blender. Good, good. Have you said your prayers, Carrie? I'm saying them, she called back. Yes, she was saying them all right. She looked at her small studio bed. Flex, tremendous weight, huge, unbearable. The bed trembled, and then the end came up perhaps three inches. It dropped with a crash. She waited, a small smile playing about her lips, for Mama to call upstairs angrily. She didn't. So Carrie got up, went to her bed, and slid between the cool sheets. Her head ached and she felt giddy, as she always did after these exercise sessions. Her heart was pounding in a fierce, scary way. She reached over, turned off the light, and lay back. No pillow. Mama didn't allow her a pillow. All right, so this is a scene where he's introducing. So Carrie is now discovering that she has these telekinetic powers. Uh, She's lives this isolated life and this is an example how she's like making her bed like rock up and down and flex uh and obviously for uh you know a girl who probably like a you know feels trapped both socially and in her psychotic parents house i feel like her parents were like schizo effective or something um okay so skip ahead to page 98 uh she found herself struggling to express the thought this called up in her for it suddenly seemed basic bulking over the shower room incident the way the sky bulks over mountains but hardly anybody ever finds out that their actions really actually hurt other people people don't get better they just get smarter when you get smarter don't stop pulling the when you get smarter you don't stop pulling the wings off of flies you just think of better reasons for doing it that's a great line 
like that. So that line, when you get smarter, you don't stop pulling the wings off flies. You just think of better reasons for doing it. That is so dark. Um, lots of kids say that f- they feel sorry for Carrie White, mostly girls, and that's a laugh. But I bet none of them understand what it's like to be Carrie White every second of every day. And they don't really care. Do you? I don't know, she cried. But someone ought to try it and be sorry in a way that counts, in a way that means something. So I think this is um, this is when some of the girls are like, you know, th- these girls are horrible to her, you know, as teenagers are. And I think, uh, uh, so this is where Susan Snell or Sue Snell, they're having like this back and forth. So like the main bully in this book is uh, a girl named Chris Harginson. And Chris Harginson's dad is a lawyer. And um, she, so he's like this successful lawyer. And in the opening scene, Chris Harginson is like, you know, it, it's like, you know, bullying Carrie. She's like throwing, you know, uh, sanitary napkins at her in the shower. It's, it's really horrible. And instead of, <laughs> instead of, a, you know, a parent being horrified by this behavior, he comes to the school and he demands that uh, her that his daughter not be punished. I think the so like they eventually found the, you know, the principal and the PE teacher. They they decided that all the girls involved in that incident will get a week's worth of detention. And then so this daddy lawyer walks in and demands that you know his daughter not be punished. And so the rest of the book, is, so he ends up so the principal stands firm. And insists that all those bullying girls need to be punished. And uh, so the lead bully, this Chris Harginson girl, she goes rogue. And she will later uh, set up this horrible prank with, uh, I, th- I think it's like a college kid or something. Some, like her boyfriend is, is like some criminal or something. And they just, uh, they they come back, uh, they come back and, um, and pull this horrible prank at the prom night. So that's going on like throughout the book it is like the bully in this book is like seething. Um, it, 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 it's, that's, that's scary too, right? Like just that a 16, 17 year old, year old girl is just capable of that much hate. It kind of like, um, you know, it kind of puts in perspective the type of things that you read on the internet and, you know, like the hate going on in the world right now. It's like, where does, where does that come from? You know, like, um, it's a trait, you know, like just like there's good in human nature, like there's evil in human nature. And, and sometimes evil manifests, you know, in, in, in the suburbs, you know, in small unassuming towns where, you know, like it's like middle upper class, everyone's doing well. There's no reason, there's no reason for this young girl to have so much hatred. Um, uh, but she does. Okay, fast forward, page 126, from My Name is Susan Snell, page 40. Page 40. I can understand some of what must have led up to the prom. Awful as it was, I can understand how someone like Billy Nolan could go along, for instance. Chris Harginson led him by the nose, at least most of the time. His friends were just just as easily led by Billy himself. Kenny Garson, who dropped out of high school when he was 18 had tested third grade, had a tested third grade reading level. In the clinical sense, Steve Digan uh, was little more than an idiot. 
Some of the others had police records. One of them, Jackie Talbot, was first busted at the age of nine for stealing hubcaps. If you've got a social worker mentality, you can even regard these people as unfortunate victims. But what can you say for Chris Hargensen herself? It seems to me that from first to last, her one and only object in view was the complete and total destruction of Carrie White. This is just insane. You're reading this and, and you like to, you know, you like to believe that there's some innocence uh, in kids, but I think Stephen King is brilliant and that he just, he raises this, um, he raises this trait of human nature in this young girl who is, is just dead set on destroying the, this poor, unsuspecting, awkward girl, Carrie White. Um, okay. So, so things are going on. There's, there's a scene where Chris Harkinson and, uh, uh, and her boyfriend, Billy are out there and they, they, they go to some remote farm they break in and they kill a couple of pigs and they, they siphon off a bunch of blood and they keep it in these buckets. And, and then later on, that's, that's their prank at the prom. That's like so devious. All right. So, uh, page 142. Um, okay. So this is a scene, uh, where Carrie is getting ready for the prom and her mom, <laughs> her mom is a psycho. Like, so instead of, uh, like, um, being supportive, I mean, I say these things of, of like how things should be, but <laughs> if, I mean, if her mom wasn't crazy, then it wouldn't be a horror novel, uh, and it would be super boring. So, uh, okay. So she's getting ready and she comes down and she shows her mom her dress. Her mom says, take off that dress. Carrie says, no, take it off. Carrie we will go down and burn it in the incinerator together and then pray for forgiveness will do penance. Her eyes began to sparkle with strange, disconnected zeal that came over at her that came over her at events which she considered to be a test of faith. I'll stay home from work, and you'll stay home from school. We'll pray. We'll ask for a sign. We'll get us down on our knees and ask for the Pentecostal fire. No, Mama. Her mother reached up and pinched her own face. It left a red mark. She looked to Carrie for a reaction, saw none, hooked her right hand into claws and ripped it across her own cheek, bringing thin blood. She whined and rocked back on her heels. Her eyes glowed with exaltation. Stop hurting yourself, Mama. That's not going to make me stop either, Mama screamed. She made her right hand a fist and struck herself in the mouth, bringing blood. She dabbled with her fingers in it, looked at it dreamily, and daubed a spot on the cover of the Bible. Washed in the blood of the Lamb, she whispered, many times, many times, he and I. Go away, Mama, she looked up at Carrie, her eyes glowing. There was a terrifying expression of righteous anger graven on her face. The Lord is not mocked, she whispered. Be sure your sin will find out. Burn it, Carrie. Cast the de devil's red from you. Burn it, burn it, burn it. The door slammed open by itself. Go away, Mama. So this goes on into this this heated uh, interaction is, is just crazy. Um, it kind of makes you think, it's just like, where does he come up from this stuff? Like, I don't, did Stephen King come from like a hyper-religious family? 
So uh, skip a page ahead, page 145. We know that Carrie was the victim of her mother's religious mania. We knew that she possessed a latent telekinetic talent, commonly referred to as TK. We know that this so-called wild talent is really a hereditary trait produced by a gene that is usually recessive, if present at all. We suspect that TK ability may be glandular in nature. <laughs> we know that Carrie produced at least one demonstration of her ability as a small girl when she was put into an extreme situation of guilt and stress. We know that a second extreme situation of guilt and stress had arose in the shower room hazing incident. It has been theorized, especially by William G. Throneberry, Julia, and Julia Gibbons from Berkeley, <laughs> that resurgence of TK ability at this point was caused both by psychological factors um, and the physiologic factors, um, advent of puberty and being ridiculed by the girls. So like, so he, so he's building it, right? Like he's, he's like, I don't even know if these are real professors from UC Berkeley, this Throneberry and Gibbons, but he's talking about like the genetics of like a science fiction condition that, uh, you know, telekinesis so this is, uh, so this is a a made up book called The Shadow Exploded. Um, so again, Stephen King is weaving in these third party accounts and commentary into the actual storyline, building suspense for the reader. Um, so page one forty eight, restlessly without thinking, she began to lift objects with her mind and put them back down the way a nervous woman was awaiting someone in a restaurant will fold and unfold her napkin. So she's just, as the book goes on, she's playing around with this telekinetic power. Page 149. Um, so she's basically at home waiting for Tommy to pick her up for the prom. He eventually picks her up. And, you know, I think th the way they describe the scene is initially, like, you think it's going to be, like, a prank that, uh, you know, he's he's just not going to show up. And then... It's just going to be that much more humiliating, but, uh, but it isn't. And Sue, the girl that sets her up with this date, Sue and Tommy are both like genuinely contrite, uh, about, and they're, they genuinely kind of feel bad for the way that Carrie is treated by her classmates. Uh, okay. So now they're getting into, so page one for two. Now she's describing, uh, Billy, who is, the boyfriend of the bully, uh, Chris Hargenson. Billy had not been her first lover, but he was the first she could not dance and dandle at her whim. Before him, her boys had been clever marionettes with clear pimple-free faces and parents with connections and country club memberships. Uh, skip down. Uh, she had met Billy Nolan following a drug bust at a Portland apartment. Four students, including Chris's date for the evening, had been busted for possession. Chris and the other girls were charged with being present there. Her father took care of it with quiet efficiency and asked her if she knew what would happen to his image and his practice if his daughter was taken up with, uh, taken up on a drug charge. Uh, all right. So, so bottom line, this bully in, uh, in the book, she comes from privilege. She feels as though she is untouchable. Um, and she just, it's, she just developed this sick, twisted, uh, it almost, it's almost like those those Stanford prison experiments. Like when you, when these prison, uh, these fake prison guards realized how much power they had over another human being, it was like they could not resist the temptation to 
um, to exploit that power and abuse the power. And you get that sense with this girl, Chris Hargensen. Uh, she's, she's an absolute animal. Um, page 161, uh, uh, George and Frida. Uh, so I think these are like, okay, he and George and Frida. So, so on these pages, he's weaving in like some of the uh, other teachers and uh, chaperones who are kind of milling around the pro- at the prom night in the whatever gymnasium. And he says he and George and Frida had less than two hours to live. So he's building up something horrible is about to happen in, uh, in the school, uh, the night of the prom. Um, and so, and the next page is 166, 167. Uh, uh, so now Tommy and Carrie, so a, a few other things happen, but bottom line, Tommy and Carrie are dates for this prom. And uh, through uh, this manipulation by the bully, they are voted as king and queen of the prom. And now they're working their way up to the stage to uh, receive their crowns. And of course, uh, of course, now uh, they are shifting back to another storyline developing, which is Billy and Chris, who had been scheming in the background to set up this this prank. And I told you earlier they had been they had went out to some farm out in the middle of nowhere and they harvested this pig's blood. Um, so, I mean, th- this is the kind of guy that Billy is, right? He goes out in the night and kills pigs to uh, to go on this sabotage mission with this entitled uh, uh, sixteen or seventeen year old girl. Billy drove to the far end of the parking lot and pulled into a stall that faced the asphalt ramp leading to the highway. Chris started to get out, and he jerked her back. His eyes glowed fairly in the dark. I love that line. His eyes glowed fairly in the dark. What, she said with angry nervousness. They used a PA system to announce, they use a PA system to announce the king and queen, he said. Then one of the bands will play the school song. That means that they're sitting in those thrones on target. I know all of that. This is Chris talking. Let go of me. You're hurting. He squeezed her wrist tighter still and felt the small bones grind. It gave him some grim pleasure. Still, he didn't cry. she didn't cry out. She was pretty good. You listen to me. I want you to know that what you're getting into. I want you to know what you're getting into. Pull the rope when the song is playing. Pull it hard. There will be a little slack between the pulleys, but not much. When you pull it and feel those buckets go, run. You don't stick around to hear the screams or anything else. This is this is out of the cute this is out of the cute little joke league. This is criminal assault, you know. They don't fine you. They put you in jail and throw the key over their shoulder. It was an enormous speech for him. Her eyes only glared at him full of defiant anger. Dig it? Yes. All right. When the buckets go, I'm going to run. When I get to the car, I'm going to drive away. If you're there, you can come. If you're not, I'll leave you. If I leave you and you spill your guts, I'll kill you. Do you believe me? Yes. Take your fucking hand off of me. He did. An unwilling shadow grin touched his face. Okay. It's going to be good. They got out of the car. It was almost 9.30.
Okay, that's page 185. And so there's like, let's see, there's about 80 pages, maybe 70, 80 pages left in the book. And then that's like the great finale of the book of what happens in the gymnasium after they dump this blood on Carrie. And I, I don't have the heart to, I've already, I mean, this is, this is a podcast about, about storytelling uh, because I enjoy um, I enjoy studying storytelling. I love reading fiction, and I think I think fiction uh, influences your thinking. Storytelling is just a great skill to learn over time. It helps you in your career as a physician. It helps you in, in sales. It, it helps. It basically improves every aspect of your life because you develop a deeper understanding for the human condition. You develop a better understanding for the people under around you. Uh, you develop a sensitivity to the good and bad in people and, and also a sense of uh, how to uh, create stories based, of, based off of the happenings in your own life. So I, I'm just fascinated by it. But I don't have the heart to completely destroy this novel for you because it is just an amazing read and it, it is of immense historical significance because Stephen King is one of the most commercially successful fiction writers of our time. And uh, I'm in the process of working through some of his other books, and I hope to do future episodes on that on the Three Deeper Cuts podcast. So thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. This has been a uh, book report episode of the Three Deeper Cuts podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And Stick around for next week's episode. Thank you uh, and stay curious. Good night.